sudden I went up back all right am I operating tonight yeah I think y'all can hear me well good well time for Wednesday night Bible study and it's storming like it's supposed to be right on time right <laughs> seems like it always uh, comes a storm on Wednesday night but we are glad that you're here tonight and it's good to see you. It's encouraging that you're here. And if you're visiting with us tonight, we especially uh, want to welcome you uh, to our services here at Boonville. Uh, of course, I uh, hope you got a bulletin that has an update on the sick. Of course, Sister uh, Winice was able to come home today from the hospital, so we're thankful for that. But uh, do look at that list to, uh, in the bulletin and... Uh, 
be praying personally for those that are on the list as well as others that uh, may not be, and let's do what we can to encourage those who are not feeling well and are dealing with health difficulties. Marilyn? What's, you talk, okay. Dehydrated, you said? I'm sorry about that. All right. Marilyn's sister, Pat, she goes to breakfast with us quite a bit <clears throat> on the uh, Golden Circle, so let's remember her in our prayers. All right, nothing else. Uh, let's start with a prayer. We'll begin. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the blessings that you give us each day. Uh, we're mindful of those things, and may we never take them for granted. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity we have tonight to study uh, what your word has to say, and may we try to glean some things tonight that will make a difference in our lives. Father, there are many, many that we know that are sick, uh, those that are dealing with maybe terminal illnesses and uh, other various kinds of illnesses as well. And Father, you know their needs. We pray that you would be with those that are having treatments of various kinds, that uh, those uh, treatments and medications would be effective in what they're dealing with. Father, please pray for each one, and we pray that your hand of healing and hope would be upon them. And, and Father, we also want to pray for those who have lost loved ones. We know how difficult that is, and we pray that uh, you would bless them and be with them and that your comfort would be upon them. Father, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful that he gave his life on the cross for our sins, and we're thankful for the hope that we have of heaven because of that sacrifice and his resurrection. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. One time there was a preacher that went over to this person's house. You know, he was preaching in a gospel meeting. And uh, man, they had all kinds of good food. It was chicken. They had fried chicken, barbecue chicken, baked chicken, chicken salad. I mean, just name it. They had chickens of all kinds. And they had their fill. Well, afterwards, you know, the man invited the preacher on the front porch, and they were talking, and all of a sudden this, this scrawny, almost featherless, bird-like creature just ran past them, and the preacher said, what's that? And the man said, it's a chicken. These chickens are dying quicker than we eat them. But anyhow, I thought you might like that one. All right, we're going to talk about worship tonight, all right? We talked about Abraham last week, and we kind of introduced some thoughts uh, about worship. And, uh, you know, when Jesus, for example, wanted to teach a lesson on marriage in Matthew chapter 19, we know that Jesus went all the way back to the very first marriage. And he based his lesson on that particular verse. He went all the way back to the beginning. Uh, in studying any Bible subject, I think there's a great deal to be said for going back to the very first mention of that particular subject in the Bible and learning what we can about it in its original form. For example, if we want to know about the grace of God, we could go to its first mention in the Bible back in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, and we could notice how the word grace is used in that verse and then apply what we learn there in its beginning to the verses that we turn to in the New Testament which declare that we are saved by grace. Now as we think about worship, the very first occurrence of the word worship is in Genesis chapter 22 and beginning in verse 5, it's connected there with Abraham offering Isaac as a burnt offering. And I hope you'll turn to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. I want to read those verses, if you will, in your hearing tonight, so that we can introduce our thoughts. Of course, these words are familiar to you, I think so. If You're very well aware of these words and what happened. But the Bible says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. That's very interesting to me, just to look at that first part. When God told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees to start with, he didn't tell him where he was going, did he? Where are you going, Abraham? Neighbors might have asked, I don't know. I'll get there when God tells me I'm there. Now he tells him to go and worship there on one of the mountains, and he'll tell you on the way there. And the Bible said Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son and he took the hand in his hand, the fire and the knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abram, uh, my father, he, and he said, here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now when they came to the place, verse 9, of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So in reading that tonight, I want us to look at the original word here, if we can perhaps get a clearer understanding of what's involved in the manner of worship. And as we do this, I think we're going to notice several things from this account that we're going to discuss tonight. Okay, it's up there. All right, good. First of all, one thing we need to observe from this is that worship always must be based upon the Word of God. We don't worship just as we please. We don't come up with our own formula uh, for worship. We must worship. Uh, it must be based on the Word of God. Now, the only reason at all that offering Isaac on the altar was acceptable worship was because God told him to do it. When he offered Isaac, he was acting on faith, right? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, what? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Y'all hope, hope that y'all can sing that if you want to. <laughs> but uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so evidently, uh, this sacrifice that Abraham did was offered by faith. And uh, that's the thing that made Abel's offering acceptable as well. If you go to Hebrews 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaks. That's a very interesting phrase there, uh, used about Abel. Abel's been dead for thousands of years, and the Bible says even though he is dead, he still speaks. How does he do that? Well, through the Word of God. We're talking about it tonight, aren't we? Right? So uh, he, he, the fact that by faith he did what God said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, so we naturally conclude that God had specifically stated what kind of sacrifice that he wanted. And by faith, Abel offered unto God a more acceptable sacrifice than did Cain. Now, this is a question. What if 
Abraham had offered Isaac without God's authorizing it. You know, perhaps in Abraham's mind, man, I'm going to give my very best. I'm going to give my son. What if he had done that without God asking him to do it? What would it have been? Been murder. Huh? Abomination. It would have been murder. Uh, but suppose he had done something else, maybe. He says, I'm not, man, I've, been wait, I've waited for this son for 25 years. I'm going to offer one of the best of my lambs, or maybe I'm going to send Isaac away, you know, like I did Ishmael. I just can't bear the thought of losing my son. Uh, perhaps that could have been something that he could have chosen to do. But if it's going to be worship, it has to be what God said. We're not free to worship God just any way that we choose. Uh, there are some things that we must consider uh, in our worship to God. Uh, we find a very interesting passage over in 2 John 9. The Bible says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of God, hath not, uh, abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. Now the word there, transgresseth, in the original is the word from which we get our word progressive. So you could probably easily translate that verse as saying, Whosoever is progressive and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Now, in some ways, it's good to be progressive, right? Aren't you glad we have indoor plumbing? I'm, I'm very happy we have that. Air conditioning? I'm very glad we have air conditioning. We, there's a lot of things. I'm glad we have this nice facility to, to, to come and assemble, right? Padded pews? Uh, those are good things. And in our worship, maybe we've got a good sound system and things of that nature. Uh, it's not adding to our worship. It's something that aids our worship, right? Just like the PowerPoint. I personally think we sing better since PowerPoint is being used over songbooks because what do we do when we use songbooks? Our, our voices are down, right? But when we watch the screen, you know, we kind of keep our mouths up. I think our singing sounds a little better. I've never tested it before, but, you know, that's a good progressive, positive thing. But a lot of times when people use the word progressive, it really means they're digressing from what the Word of God actually teaches about worship. Maybe they're incorporating uh, the doctrines of men in their worship, uh, adding mechanical instruments of music uh, to worship is becoming a somewhat popular thing today. Uh, and certainly, uh, people are entertain, entertainment-driven today. And a lot of people uh, in the church, is, you know, I'm talking about churches in general, think that they have to keep up with the entertainment industry. We can't compete with that. I can tell you that right now. Uh, but, you know, uh, if we're going to worship God and let entertainment be the focus, we better do it right, you know. We better do it good. But uh, that's not the purpose of our worship. Uh, whenever we worship, we don't please ourselves. We're pleasing God. God is the audience, so to speak, when we worship, isn't he? And so whatever pleases God is what I have to do, uh, no matter what the world may think. You know, when the world comes into one of our assemblies, people from, you know, out in the city, out of the area, come here for the first time, that's one of the first things they'll notice, right? You know, there's no guitar up there, there's not a set of drums, there's not a piano, you know? And sometimes they wonder, you know, why, why don't you have that? You know, why don't y'all use that? And uh, we always reply, or I do, it has to do with the authority of God. It has nothing to do with personal preferences, right? We all have personal preferences. I, for one, like talk radio, I don't listen to music a whole lot on the radio. Unless it's uh, find my 80s channel, you know, I'll listen to 80s music all day long. But that's about the extent of it. I, I listen to talk radio, you know, sports talk or whatever it may be. Uh, so, you know, we have different preferences as far as maybe what we would like in worship if we had to come up with that. But it's not up to our personal preferences, is it? Uh, we have to do what God says because that is what God expects, that's what God desires. And so I always say, it has nothing to do with instrumental music in worship. It has nothing to do with that as such. 
It has to do with the authority of God and respecting the authority of God uh, on any issue, on any subject. And so uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that we ain't got anybody that can play an instrument here or, you know, we just don't like music in general. Because I know that's not true. You know, you folks can sing and sing well. Uh, I know a lot of you folks can play various instruments. You're talented and all that, and that's great. But uh, when it comes to worship and what we are to do, God has simply <clears throat> stated and authorized what we are to do, and we are to accept that. Even if you look at history, and we're not going to go into detail on that tonight, but for the first thousand years or so after the first century church began, there was no mechanical instruments of music used anywhere in the worship assemblies of the church. You know, that's a new innovation. And even if we were to talk about the denominational churches that began and had their roots in the 15 and 1600s, when those denominational churches began, the idea of instrumental music in the assembly of worship was repudiated. I mean, it, it's, the, instrumental music is a new innovation. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a new innovation. It's not very old at all when you look at the grand scheme of things. Now, Jesus said, uh, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. And so the fact that Abraham might not be able to explain just exactly why things were as they were did not keep him from doing what God said. And you think about Isaac's question that he asked, you know, you know, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. As long as I can remember, my father's always worshipped God. You know, he asked his father, where's the wood and the altar? We've got all that, but where's the sacrifice? My father would never forget something like that, would he? Well, you know, he told Isaac, God will provide. So let's understand, first of all, worship is based on uh, God's word. Any comments on that? All right, let's move on to the next point. Worship involves an act or some acts. He said in Genesis 22 and verse 5, I and the boy will go yonder and worship. And the Bible says in a commentary on that in Hebrews 11 and verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried or tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. There was a specific act there uh, involved in his worship. And, uh, you know, this is not something that he could just sit at home and do. This is not something that, you know, he could just do in his own mind. It was not something that someone else could do for him. Uh, worship is not just an attitude, although the attitude's important, but it's homage paid, and uh, that's something that I think is very, very important. Now, I wanted just to look at a couple of things tonight to share with you. I know we've gone through this, this COVID uh, over the last, uh, I guess, almost two years now, and certainly what I'm going to say now is not a judgment against those who stay home, uh, you know, watch the worship service virtually. Uh, there are those that, that have to. There are those that that's the only way that they can do so, uh, especially those who are very vulnerable for whatever period of time, maybe to protect themselves from a legitimate risk. And uh, we're thankful that we have that opportunity when we need it, Right. But uh, it's an attempt, uh, I think, to encourage and to exhort those of us that may conclude that uh, participating virtually uh, meets what God intends for the assemblies. I think some of us have gotten too comfortable, you know, sitting in our recliner, to be honest, right? You know, we got in the habit of that. We were forced to worship from our homes, and you know, it's kind of nice to get up in your PJs, right? Now... When you have to stand up for the song and you're in that recliner, it's kind of hard to get up, isn't it, right? You know, but, you know, it's very convenient. We've got to where, you know, worship has become convenient. But uh, while we may get to see the church worship and maybe engage in Bible class and receive some edification, I just wanted to point out that 
there, we're missing quite a bit of what God designed for the church when we assemble together. There are things that we're missing out on when we're not able to come. I know when I was not able to come, and of course I was there most of the time, I had to preach, you know, virtually, but there were a few times when I was not able to be there, somebody else may have done it. And uh, All of us remember what it was like to, you know, turn on our televisions or whatever and worship virtually, but there's some things that we cannot do unless we assemble together. And that's why it's so important, and that's why God commands us to assemble together. What can't we accomplish when we remain in a virtual setting all the time? There's some things we can accomplish. We cannot stimulate one another to love and good works, as Hebrews 10.24 says. You know, when we assemble together, we are exhorting, we are encouraging one another to love and good works. I don't know if you realize that, but whenever you assemble to worship, you're doing two important things. You are exhorting one another to love and good works. You're encouraging your brethren just by your presence. Also, uh, we cannot exhort one another. It's Hebrews 10 verse 25 says. You know, when we don't assemble, there's no way I can encourage my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Also, we cannot speak to, teach, or admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5 and verse 19. Uh, when we don't assemble together, we cannot come together and edify one another. I don't know about you, but when we worship, one of the purposes is for us to edify one another through that worship. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Also, if we uh, just stay home virtually, we cannot welcome visitors from the community who may have come to our assemblies. We just can't do that, can we? We, you know, we can't make an impact on those that maybe are not members of the church. We also cannot engage in the enriching faith-building and faith Preserving fellowship, the early church found to be so essential. Uh, Acts 2 and verse 42. You know, I jumped for joy when we had our first fellowship meal when we came back a little bit. I mean, that was fantastic. Not because of the meal itself, but, you know, I, I, don't you think we've taken that for granted through the years? You know, I, I think our numbers, we've had a few of those since I've been here. Good participation. I think there's a reason for that. We missed that. But we cannot engage in, you know, continuing in the teaching of God's Word and things that preserve fellowship and, and things of that nature. We also cannot congregate as they did in Acts 4 and verse 32. Uh, we cannot come together and eat the Lord's Supper as they did, 1 Corinthians 11, 20 and 23. You know, to me, you know, the Bible talks about how that when we uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the Lord's death till He come, right? When you partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning, you're preaching a sermon. You're proclaiming the Lord's death until He come by your participating in the Lord's Supper. You're stating by partaking of that bread and by drinking of the juice of the grape that you believe that Jesus Christ was all He claimed to be, that He died on the cross, that He shed His blood, and that He rose from the dead. You're proclaiming that just by your participation in the Lord's Supper. And then let us not forget the responsibility that God puts upon each Christian to all others who assemble. You know, worship is not just something personal. It's something vertical. It's something horizontal. And, uh, you know, some families are blessed with good singers, right? You know, singing at home. Uh, some families, you know, you're better off being tone deaf maybe, right? I don't know. But... Uh, uh, when we can come together and blend our voices uh, together, it just makes a difference. I just want to kind of share those thoughts with you about worship involving an act or some acts. But again, I do not want this in any way to come across that you don't ever need to worship God virtually, that it's wrong to do so, because I don't believe that. You know, before technology came like it was, I think the only way somebody probably could take advantage of any kind of worship service was if they made a tape, right? Maybe you could get a hold of that cassette tape or a CD later on, you know, as technology developed. So technology is a blessing in that way, that we can kind of watch uh, what's taking place. And there are people that simply cannot be here because of their health and because of other difficulties. 
You ought not to feel bad about that in the least. You ought not feel bad. You ought to take advantage of what has been available to you. All right, we've got to get going. Uh, worship involves a costly presentation. In this case, God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, get unto the mountain of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I don't know how I would have taken that. Think about offering your own child on an altar. I don't, I don't know if I'd had the attitude Abraham had. I don't know. I'd never been tested in that way. Uh, but Abraham's worship involved a costly presentation. I think the same thing was true in David's life. You look at over at 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. David said unto Arana, No, but I will surely buy it of you at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which costs me nothing. So David paid the price for the fleshing fl threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I, David realized that Worship involves a costly presentation. And, uh, you know, sometimes people are content to worship God without it costing them anything. Some people come to worship, and really worship's the last thing on their mind, isn't it? You know, they may talk or pass notes, or, you know, they're here to kind of socialize and so forth. And our focus really isn't on worship, giving God our best in our singing and in our focus. But, uh, and so we need to be aware of that. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 15, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto His name. See, it's not merely the gift of our money, but it's the gift of our minds. It's the gift of our lips and uh, our bodies and so forth. And Abraham could not do what he did on that occasion with the same degree of casualness that sometimes worshipers uh, portray on Sundays today. Uh, some come and they look like death warmed over, don't they? You know, their lips are pooched out, you know. They look like they'd rather be anywhere but right here worshiping God. They don't sing. And just as soon as the opening prayer said, they bow their heads and that head never comes up until the closing prayer. You know, they're out cold, you know. Uh, they're sleeping, they're resting, or whatever. Uh, somebody says, you know, I, I just don't get that much out of worship. Well, the old saying goes, you get out of something what you put into it, right? So you'll get something out of it if you put something into it. You see, one of the characteristics of society is that we're self-focused, self-oriented. What's in it for me? That's why uh, the churches that... Uh, focus on entertainment uh, seem to be having large crowds, you know, superficial Christianity, focusing on entertainment, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get people to, to uh, get something out of it. But you get out of something what you put into it. And uh, we need to understand that uh, worship involves a costly presentation. And uh, Abraham... You ask him what he expected to get out of the worship as he was going up that mountain, you know, you'll get an answer. But if you ask him in returning uh, if he got anything about a worship, I think you'll get a different answer as well. And so worship involves a costly presentation. All right, next. Worship involves separation from the world. Abraham said, I and the boy will go yonder and worship. Abraham left some things behind that might have been a hindrance to him in worshiping God. When we worship God, you know, the affairs of life need to be left behind. So many times, you know, you hear somebody will say, when we partake the Lord's Supper, let's remove from our minds earthly and worldly thoughts. Nothing wrong with saying that. It's true, right? We need to remove from our mind earthly and worldly thoughts when we come and worship God. Uh, problems on the job ought to be left behind when we come to worship. Also, that Miss Phil Gold and Saturday's football game needs to be uh, left behind. Uh, can you imagine, you know, if Abraham, as he was binding Isaac and reaching for that knife, was he thinking, I wonder, you know, if that spotted cow has had her calf yet back home? 
You know, Abraham was focused 100% on what he was doing. Or maybe was he wondering what Sarah was going to have cooked up when they got home for dinner? Uh, all these worldly ideas, these worldly thoughts were completely put out of his mouth. He was there to worship God. And when we come to the assembly, we need to try to remove those things, even though problems are real, difficulties happen, all of us have various trying circumstances in our lives, we need to leave those things behind and focus our attention on worshiping uh, the God of heaven. Uh, Self-interest has no place here. Uh, it's not a question of, you know, everything uh, to suit me or whatever. I've got to be able to focus my attention on God. You know, the church at Corinth, with their problem over who prophesied or who led prayers or who led singing, uh, that wouldn't fit into this kind of worship at all. You know, Corinth had a major problem there when it came to worship, right? Uh, they were focused on who's got the greatest gifts uh, at that particular time. And uh, Paul rebuked them for that. And this mountaintop where Abraham came to worship God is God's place. And when we come, we are to give honor and adoration to him in the way that he's prescribed. Uh, that's the only thing that matters. Everything else uh, needs to be excluded when we assemble to worship. All right, let's move on to the last one. And I'm going to close out with some thoughts. I told you I did this last week. But worship results in blessings to the worshiper. When I come and focus my attention on worship God, worshiping God, I'm going to be blessed. How many people have ever come? Maybe you really didn't want to come. You didn't feel all that good. Maybe you still came anyway. How many? And then you leave, and what, what do you say to yourself? Man, I'm so glad I came. I feel so much better. That lesson was just what I needed to hear tonight, that singing. Oh, man, that was great. And, and you receive a blessing as a result of being there. You're edified uh, as we sing to one another and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so... There are blessings that uh, <clears throat> come to the worshiper. The Bible says in verses 15 through 18 of Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you've done this thing and you've not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you as the seed and as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. Abraham was going to be richly blessed, wasn't he, as a result of his worship to God. You know, that, there's no doubt in my mind. I can't imagine what Abraham was thinking or how he felt when he ascended the lofty heights of that mountain. I can't imagine that, can you? What that must have been like, knowing he's about to take his son's life. You know, you think about what you sacrificed for the Lord's church, right? You think about some things that you've given up for the cause of Christ. I wonder what Abraham was thinking when he was ascending that mountain. But as he comes back down... There's a spring in his step, isn't it? There's a song in his heart. You know, he has received great blessings as a result of that worship. And I think another blessing Abraham was, received was he had a greater appreciation for his son, did he not? Knowing that he could have lost that son, and yet now he still has him, that led to a great appreciation and value that he felt toward that son. Another blessing is he now knows that his faith in and devotion to God is strong enough to cause him to do whatever God told him to do. His faith has been tested, been tried by fire, and he's come through and he's passed that test. And still another, what kind of an example do you think that Abraham set before his son Isaac by his worship? You know, sometimes I wonder when parents maybe come to me or they say, I just don't understand why my child is not faithful today. 
A lot of times you can look back and in those parents' lives, they weren't consistent in their worship. They let little things come up. They'd miss just about any time. They were good folks, you know. But, you know, anything that came up, they wouldn't put a priority on worshiping God. Then they wonder why maybe their child is the same way. But I wonder what kind of an example Abraham's worship furnished for his son Isaac. Suppose somebody maybe had said to Isaac years later, did your father really have a great deal of faith in God? Isaac wouldn't hesitate, would he? In strong convictions, talking about the faith of his father, Abraham, and his dedication to God. I think that's in contrast to Lot, isn't it? Remember Lot, uh, when it came down to making a choice, he chose the, the good land, didn't he? And he lost his family as a result. And so no man can worship God acceptably and come away poor as a result. Now i got a question. Why did God want Isaac as a burnt offering? Got any answers to that? All right. I think you're getting there what I'm getting to. I don't think he wanted that sacrifice. What he did and what he wanted was Abraham. What he truly wanted was Abraham's heart, and he knew he had him if he was willing, as Jim said, to offer up his most prized possession. Now, how far are we willing to go to obey God? I think that's the question for us. And uh, here is worship. Here is a soul in tune with God, offering up his most precious possession. But not only did he offer up his boy, he offered the soul and the heart and the mind that he possessed to God on that occasion. And his worship was acceptable, and he proved himself in that worship. Now, I've got about seven minutes left, and if you want to write down these points, they're not on the PowerPoint. But these are very important to understand. What is acceptable worship? There's four key words to it that I want you not to forget. Number one, worship is intentional. Nobody just accidentally worships God. You have to intend to worship God, and that's important. Number two, worship is internal. It has to do with our attitude. It has to do with our heart and our desire to please God. And so worship has to be intentional. I intend to do this. You know, we are going, as Abraham said, I and the boy are going yonder to worship. And it involves the attitude. It's internal. And then let me say that worship is vertical. By that I mean it's directed to God. Therefore, when I worship, I need to make sure that I'm pleasing to God. Remember the Lord's attitude when He said, I do always those things that please Him. And so in our worship, we need to realize it's vertical. It's offered to God, and therefore I will only do what God would have me to do in my worship to Him. And so instantly, everything that I desire and I want and people around me may want goes out the window because I'm going to do what God desires and what God wants. So worship is intentional. It's internal, the attitude. Uh, John 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those two words, I think, have to do with the internal part and the vertical part. The last part's important too. Not only is worship intentional, not only is it internal, not only is, is it vertical, but it's momentary. Worship begins and worship ends. And we hear a lot today about how everything we do in life is worship. Now, certainly everything we do ought to be pleasing to God, and we ought to serve God. I know one church used to have a sign that says, uh, you know, on the back wall as they leave, 
uh, enter to worship, leave to serve, right? You've seen those on the back of church buildings sometimes? Well, they changed it. Leave, enter to worship, leave to worship. Like there's no difference in what we have done when we assemble together and what we're going to do when we get out there. And so that's important to understand as well. So I hope you'll take those things to heart and remember those things. I'm sorry, I thought we had 745. I don't know what I'm thinking. But uh, here comes some uh, folks. So we're going to stop right there. And uh, I appreciate very, very much your attention tonight. Thank you.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my It's time for us to go ahead and begin tonight, if we can, please. We are uh, glad you're here. We want to express our appreciation to all of you for being here tonight, and I hope you have, uh, have received some good, positive results from the Bible class you attended tonight. Be sure and pick up a bulletin tonight, and you'll see an updated list on the sick. Also, all workers for Super Saturday Bible School, please meet in the little chapel after service tonight. So go there as quickly as possible. Also, girls going into the seventh grade will have a keeper's meeting tomorrow, June 9th at 8 a.m. behind the Spain house beside the TAC. Also, any senior girls that have not planted a garden in keepers need to meet at the same time and place. Also, ladies who have signed up to attend the Transform Retreat in Pigeon Forge, you're asked to meet this Sunday morning following our worship service in the little chapel. And also, in anticipation of the upcoming marriage of uh, Clark Martin and Brittany Mitchell, there's a table in the foyer that has been set up for wedding gifts, wedding shower gifts, and uh, their registration is in the bulletin. Uh, the Freed Hardeman University Associates will host its salad luncheon on June the 24th from 11 to 1 in the Annex, and uh, tickets are available from any associate member. I do hope you'll remember the Pinevale uh, cookout uh, for Pinevale Children's Home that's coming up on Tuesday, June the 14th. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. We still need some more folks to sign up to bring uh, some items that will help us uh, get the meal prepared for that. It's a good outing, and uh, we hope that you can be involved in that. Uh, The food pantry, the clothes closet, is going to be open tomorrow at 9 o'clock. It'll also be open on the 16th, the week from tomorrow, and the pantry item this week is canned pasta. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Our singing tonight will be led by Brother Anthony Acock and Brother Ronnie Johnson will lead our closing prayer at the appropriate time. Mark your hymn books, number 552. 552 will be the invitation. Then turn to number 535. 535. I'm in the way, the righteous I'm in the glory, the glory that Jesus saves today. Yes, I'm in the 
When God tested Abraham's faith and asked him to go and offer his only son Isaac, the son whom he loved, Abraham obeyed God and he went. And after three days, they came to the place where the offering was to take place. And Abraham told the two young men to stay behind. I and the boy will go yonder and we'll worship. And of course, Isaac had a very, very important question as they ascended that mountain. He said, we have the wood and, you know, we have the altar and everything, but, you know, where's the sacrifice? My father, you've never forgotten the sacrifice before. Where's the offering? And Abraham said three important words that I want to emphasize right now. He said, God will provide. Without going into the details of that story, God did provide. And Abraham's faith was proven to be true. And we need to understand that God provides for us today in many ways. We ought to open up our hearts and minds and just think about the ways that God has provided for us. You think about how he's provided for us in a physical and material way. We, we live in the greatest country on this earth. We are blessed with houses to live in, cars to drive, plenty of food to eat. We go to the doctor when we need to go to the doctor. A, a lot of people, a majority of people in other countries have never even seen a doctor. But more importantly than those physical and material ways, God has blessed us spiritually. He has put his plan in motion to redeem mankind. In John 3 and verse 16, we know he sent his son to give his life on Calvary and that if we believe and obey him, we will be saved as a result. God's given us his word. He's given us that guidebook so that we might know how we are to live our lives and how we are to behave and live in accordance with his will so that ultimately we can be faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10. You know, we sing that song many times, count your many blessings, and being thankful is not just something we ought to do in November. It's something that we ought to do in June and in every other day of the year as well. So think about what Abraham said to Isaac. God will provide. And I hope tonight you, real, you will realize that that's the case for you as well. God loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to be saved. He's done everything that he can to make salvation possible, but there must be a response on our part. And that response is a simple, trusting faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's a faith that is active and obedient. It leads one to repent of his sins, to confess that Jesus is God's son, and then to be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2 and 38. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we give you this opportunity to come if that's your need while we stand and sing.
Father, as we come to you at the close of this service, we would like to remember you and thank you for looking out for us, your children, like you do. Father, thank you for seeing the need that we would have a place to come together where we could be with like believers and where we could leave the troubles and cares of this world outside and we could have the joy of singing these beautiful songs and learning new things about you from the study of your word and leave here happier than we came in. Father, thank you for giving us these opportunities. Father, bless those of our number that are sick. Help us to live the life and take the things that we learn here today into our life so that we might do, like Jesus said, that through our lives we might preach Jesus Christ to the world around us. Now go with us as we leave. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.